0: Welcome, everybody, to Episode 6 of the Bluff Valve Podcast. Uh, It's the podcast for automotive and motorsports news, as well as anything else automotive that we find interesting from the week. Uh, We're your hosts, Alex and Tucker. And we have uh, pretty much an all-sports car edition of the show today, um, with some really notable debuts uh, during the week from a couple of big sports car manufacturers. So we'll kind of get right into it. Um, the first debut that we want to talk about is the the new McLaren replacement in the sports series category for the 570S. It's called the Artura. For those of you who may not know, McLaren has kind of three grades of their cars, the sports series, the super series, and the ultimate series. So the sports series is like the 570S, the super series would be your 720S, and then the ultimate series are your Senna, your P1, um, your Speedtail, that level of car. So For this new car, they're getting rid of the twin-turbo V8 that's basically been in every McLaren since the MP412C and replaced it with a twin-turbo V6 that's in a hot V configuration, which, without getting too technical, allows for the engine to be a kind of smaller overall package, particularly decreasing the height of the engine, uh, which helps for the uh, center of gravity of the car. And then this conventional ice engine is going to be paired with what they call an axial flux electric motor. The internal combustion engine alone makes five hundred and seventy seven horsepower and four hundred and thirty one pound feet of torque. But when you pair it with the electric motor, it can produce up to six hundred and seventy one horsepower and five hundred and thirty one foot pounds of torque. If you're like me, those the torque figures didn't really make sense because they didn't they weren't additive the uh the total the total torque figure is actually lower because mclaren wanted to quote optimize powertrain drivability characteristics which when i read that it means to me that i think more torque would have caused a lot of wheel spin because this is still going to be a rear wheel drive car so they wanted to try and balance it a little bit um, it can be used in electric only mode for up to 19 miles it speeds up to tw- 75 miles an hour which I think it's predominantly going to be used for getting in and out of city centers. So it avoids some of these um, pollution taxes that um, a lot of major European cities are imposing on these cars. The car has a new uh, lighter carbon tub as well as a lighter V6 engine, which nearly offsets the added weight of the electric powertrain, which I thought was really impressive. The zero to 60 is going to be 3.0 seconds with a top speed of 205 miles an hour. And the base price is going to be 225 and the way mclaren it works is kind of similar to porsche in that uh even though the base is 225 you know if yeah. you get everything that you want you're going to be well north of 250 260 i would expect what do you what do you think of this Tucker? it's kind of an interesting car
1: yeah i mean it looks super cool i think that all of the mclarens look you know really they have a very unique design i remember. Reading an article, some point over the week, where some one of the designers basically said that they're, in a sense, shaped by the forces around them. Mm -hmm. And to another point that I read on a a different article, someone had mentioned that, you know, when they when they see a McLaren and they talk about identifying cars and, and being really confident in their ability to identify cars with the McLarens, they they end up just kind of saying, "Oh, it's a McLaren." Because they right. all, a lot of them do end up sharing that similar look, but it is very distinctive, you know, for the manufacturer. And so I think on the look side, it, I mean, it's going to completely turn heads anywhere it's at, you know, and that's um, probably to right. be expected. I think for most McLarens.
0: No, I totally agree. I, you know, the side profile actually is very similar to the F, the the original F one. They, yeah. they have that very f- kind of forward cockpit design, which I really like. I think it looks phenomenal. Um, it is kind of an evolution of the sports series 57s yep. look with just a touch of, <laughs> this is kind of a, an odd comparison, but there's a car called the Lycan Hypersport that was kind of a vaporware car. Uh-huh. It was actually the car that was in the Fast and Furious movie where they jumped from skyscraper to skyscraper <laughs> in Dubai.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah,
0: okay. I remember that. The front end looks very familiar, or very similar to the Lake and Hypersport, which is hilarious to me. But I think it looks awesome. Um, They released a video of it kind of going full tilt around track, and it sounded pretty good. I think that was a big concern to a lot of customers. No doubt. You know, a twin-turbocharged um, engine already, you know, usually doesn't have as good an exhaust note as a
1: naturally aspirated engine, and then change it from a V8 to a V6, and people all were yeah. nervous about that. Yeah, and I think rightfully so. I, I remember years ago um, listening to the Audi S5 in V8 form, you know, next to the S5 in V6 turbo form, Yeah, and it was a remarkable difference. Um, yeah,
0: I mean that was a big knock. Kind of the only other really super well-known uh supercar that I can think of that has a twin turbo V6 is the the newest iteration of the 4GT and it okay. does not sound very good.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is a real struggle, you know, with the acoustics and making that and making that change. I think that the reality though is that I mean maybe this is the future for like the 911. Yeah, As some of these manufacturers embrace electrification for kind of their, you know, mass production vehicles. And then the more niche vehicles can stay mm-hmm. gas powered, naturally aspirated, or yep. they end up in this hybrid scenario. And almost at that point, you wonder, is it is it worth, you know, walking away from the V8, you know, to a V6 mm-hmm. if if like you just said, you walk away from the car and you're like, boy, you know, that just doesn't sound like I would expect it to. Right. I mean, that's, that's the big concern for the upcoming
0: um, Mercedes C-Class AMG because that's going to be a twin turbo four cylinder. I mean, it's, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Like that. I mean, the, the AMG. That's like
1: my, my old Jetta GLI, you know? Yeah.
0: The the AMG is like notorious for its its V eight yeah. engine sound like that six point three liter you know just it sounds it's a German muscle car right yeah so I think a lot of people are like what's you know what's this going to sound like it's just going to sound like a tuner you know a Honda Civic you well, know that's like, what, what I
1: worry about you know and I and I guess I don't know enough about the whole you know emissions and you know situation in Europe and what they're being asked to do but. Some of those are such niche cars that I think couldn't couldn't they electrify the kind of mass market and and maintain, you know, so internal combustion for some of those. I, I think they can. So
0: my yeah. understanding is like you have to, as a company across your model range, have to hit certain emissions targets, and mm-hmm. so you can retain a car that maybe has a little bit higher pollution or emissions, however you want to yeah. put it as long as you're offsetting that with electric cars, hybrid cars across the rest of your model range, which I think is kind of where Porsche is going. They've got the Taycan. Yeah. Yeah, the Macan is supposedly going all electric. They've already got like e-hybrid versions of the Panamera and the Cayenne. So I think, you know, I I think the 911, even more so than like the Cayman, is going to be the last bastion of the internal combustion engine for Porsche.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, at least keep some of that, you know, a six and and hybridize it to some extent so that you yeah. can at least keep the exhaust note because if you bail on that and go down to a a four cylinder engine you might as well just walk go away from it. Just, <laughs> yeah. Just be
0: I mean, done, you know. This car, you know, getting back to McLaren specifically is a really important car for them because, you know, everyone knows the 720 and it's this world beater of a supercar. But the Sports Series is their volume seller. You know, yeah. this is the car that McLaren needs to sell a lot of, or lease a lot of finance, a lot of whatever. And so it has to, it has to pull people in and it has to be an interesting proposition. And I think, you know, it's incredibly fast. It's very impressive. So we'll, we'll kind of see what the numbers end up looking like on it. Um, But on paper, it looks to be a phenomenal car. And I think they nailed the aesthetics of it. Um, I think it's a very attractive car.
1: Yeah, and also just, you know, reflecting on the construction of it, I was, like you, were very impressed with the ability to pack that set of batteries in there and decide, well, we can modify the frame with, you know, carbon fiber and end up at a similar, you know, weight Mm -hmm. to at least what they had targeted. And that's actually really impressive to me that they were able to pull that off.
0: Yeah, and, uh, you know, more than likely... I would I would not be surprised if this engine in an upgraded form is carried over to this to the Super Series cars, sure. 720s replacement because this is you know McLaren's you know they put a millions and millions of dollars into engineering this um, as their new hybrid yeah. platform with cost savings in mind. I would not be surprised if they try and use this same platform and hybrid absolutely. architecture absolutely you know, larger production volume cars. So um, it, it's, you know, from that angle, it's also, you know, it's a very important car from McLaren. It needs to do well. Um, aesthetically, I think it's going to lend itself really well to a little bit of added aero kit and stuff like that. That's, I'm sure going to come with the LT version of it. So that'll be, uh, you know, that'll be a, a fun, fun car to see. And um, I think more than likely, this is kind of a I suspect they've detuned it a little bit um, just to save some space at the top end. Yeah, some bandwidth, yeah. yeah. Uh, So exciting. Uh, Hopefully the the build quality and everything is on point. I would love to see McLaren kind of continue to improve on that. But yeah, so we'll leave that there. And move on to our second uh, big debut of the week, and this is kind of, I think where we want to spend the majority of of this episode is is talking about the 992 Porsche GT3 that debuted uh, early in the week. Uh, It's going to retain the the naturally aspirated flat six uh, from the 991 GT3. It's basically the GT3 Cup car engine. Um, It adds. Only quote, you know, only 10 horsepower, uh, which is up to 502 horsepower and 346 pound-feet of torque. Still has the 9,000 RPM red line that was such a beloved characteristic of the last generation GT3 and GT3 RS cars. As with the 991, it's going to have a 7-speed PDK or 6-speed manual transmission option. Zero to sixty is going to be in three point two seconds with a top speed just shy of two hundred miles an hour. The really impressive statistic coming out of the release is that it ran the Nurburgring in six fifty nine nine two seven, which was seventeen seconds faster than the previous seventeen seconds faster than the previous GT three, and a fraction of a second quicker than the than the nine nine one point two GT three RS, which made me really
1: sad. Yeah, <laughs> uh,
0: um, I will point out that one one big difference between the 991 and 992 GT3 lap times is that the newest, the 992 GT3 ran its lap on Michelin Pilot Sport Cup 2Rs, Mm. um, while the prior GT3 was on standard Cup 2s. So that's a pretty significant difference. If you uh, listen to what a lot of people that have run on those, uh, the R compound tire, they're very, very sticky. But also there's some other improvements that probably contributed to that lap time there's a new multi-link front suspension instead of the conventional mcpherson struts which is a first on any 911 including the previous generation big hitters to, the two rs cars and uh they also added significant aero improvements which includes the party piece the thing that everyone's talking about the swan yeah. rear wing <laughs> that's really kind of an basically from the RSR race car yeah, uh, and produces about 50% more downforce than the previous generation's wing. Combine that wing with the new fixed deck lid spoiler and the adjustable front lip spoiler and the new GT three can produce up to 150% more downforce than the last generation, which obviously running it around on the street, you're not going to really appreciate right. that. But if you're taking it to a track, I mean, that makes a big difference. Porsche has already announced, or more specifically, Andy, Andreas Preuninger, the head of the GT program, has already announced that there will be a touring version hmm. uh, without the big wing. The base price is going to be 170000 if you're lucky enough to get a build slot, which
1: we'll talk about in a little bit. But uh, what do you think of the new GT3? Oh, I love it. I mean, <laughs> I realized that the opinions had kind of been all over the place, but, you know, I had been watching a couple of, you know, YouTube videos as they were approaching the release and kind of giving you yeah and i honestly i really liked the back end i i recognize the you know statements some people are making that it is very busy but i think it's a it's reflective of the car you know it's such a distinct car Mm -hmm. um you know obviously the 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 wing is polarizing or you know it can be but it uh, it definitely contributed to its performance around the track, and so I think if you are on a track with it, you'll obviously you know experience that. But um, a lot of times you're not going to be on a track; you're going to be you know driving around town or back roads, and so you probably won't get the full effect of that. But right. a lot of these things that you know we end up buying, especially over in the states, we don't necessarily like get to use them at their full potential. Mm -hmm. and it's to some extent you're buying like a tribute to you know porsche racing and and things like that and so um i think it's cool you know they've taken a little bit of a different direction uh it was funny though i was talking with my wife about the car and 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 she thought it was kind of amusing that how polarizing it was when she was basically like it doesn't to her eyes she's like it doesn't really look that different (laughs) it's like well you know the porsche uh people it's uh yeah. it's, i'm sure jarring yeah. you know <laughs>
0: well, and and in the launch color which is shark blue which is a yeah. kind of non-metallic similar to voodoo blue but but a little less kind of aggressive yeah. <laughs> but really cool I um
1: agree.
0: i i man i am i'm gonna disagree a little bit and i'm <laughs> trying to i'm trying to be unbiased as the car did beat my car's nurburgring lap time i love the i love the wing. Mm-hmm. I think the back looks fine. The nostrils on the hood, I yeah. think look atrocious and I, yeah. I get that they're functional. I'm sure that I, I didn't see specifically yeah. what they do, whether they're there for, you know, increasing downforce or, or, uh, you know, exactly what their purpose is. If they're like replacements for the NACA ducts from the nine, nine, one dot two generation where they're going to, you know, help cool the brakes or what, but, My, it just, so the GT three to me is supposed to be the, I want to drive this potentially every day. Yeah. Uh, I want to have some fun on the back roads and maybe take it to the track every once in a while. Like that's where the GT three sits to me. And then the RS is like the special occasion back roads. Yeah. Yeah. You're not, you're not taking it to Costco to get some food, you know, like the GT3 you might take to Costco. You're you're gonna take it to the restaurant with your wife for a night out, right? You know? Um, and I think that's where this car strikes me as a little bit odd. As this, if they said this was the RS, if I knew nothing about it and you showed me yeah. this picture, particularly like the prototype all in black and said this is the new GT3 RS, I'd be like, yeah, of course it is. And when those those spy shots from like a Fair year enough. ago surfaced, the the spy shots all said, you know, new GT3 RS. Because it's like, this thing looks so aggressive. Yeah, that's a
1: good point. I hadn't thought about that.
0: You've got a swan neck wing, an RSR wing on a GT3. So one... What the hell are they going to do for the RS? (laughs) Exactly. So you've got got a super aggressive looking car already. Like, is the RS going to add like front canards and, you
1: know, a bunch of... Like you're gonna it's gonna look you're gonna have to
0: make it look hyper aggressive.
1: Yeah, you're gonna have like you know, plastic, you know, black wings taped to the front fender. Yeah, exactly. I I hope we don't end up there.
0: (laughs) Well, I think they have to go there. If they're gonna have to look this aggressive, you know, usually the performance in terms of horsepower and whatnot is that not that big from the GT3 to the RS it's usually a lot of aesthetics. It's the bigger yeah. wing, it's a bigger, you know, more aggressive aero kit. So, you know, what do you get, where, where do you go with it? And, and secondly, you know, right now the car, even if you don't like the nostrils, like I don't, it looks fairly balanced in terms of its aero package front and rear. Yeah, you know, touring comes out and doesn't have that big ass wing on the back. Yeah. but still has these nostrils and this aggressive front end
1: I think it's going to look kind of weird and unbalanced yeah I think without a, a sig- some kind of significant wing on it it I agree it might it, it might be a little bit too jarring I think I partly wonder if your reaction to those nostrils comes from the BMW um four series i know you had an allergic yeah. reaction a i did allergic an reaction. Reaction. <laughs> when you first saw that yeah. yeah i know and so you know i wonder maybe to your point if you put that hood on uh the gt3 rs would you walk away from that and say yeah maybe it's not my style but you know that's supposed to be an aggressive car and you basically right. got rid of that on the gt3 if if you would have liked it a little bit more Right. I think, I think so. I think, and that's fair. Uh, I think that's totally fair. I mean, sometimes when I look at the front of it on, on some of like the track pictures, I, I like think of a, a Pontiac or something, you know, <laughs> with those insects. Right. On yeah. The hood. It's a little jarring.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's just a little, and I get why they did it. Like they had to do these things. They want, they were chasing a lap time. I suspect. Yeah. they wanted it to be a sub seven lap time, but I just hope and i mean andreas preininger has not screwed up yet in my opinion with the gt program so i'm sure he'll come up with something awesome but you know i also don't want these cars to become a caricature of themselves yeah and i mean that
1: is so true because the point is you know when you go and look at used gt3s all the way back to like 2015 mm -hmm. hell even earlier than that 2010 they still look great like they literally look great yeah no i mean the, the
0: cars have a real timeless quality to them and the more you do these kind of wild things yeah the more they're going to become kind of of their time
1: you yeah. know
0: like you look at a 997 GT3 RS that still would turn your head it's a classic 911 shape a nice spoiler nice little aero kit and that's it you know it's yeah. it's not it's not something crazy
1: and and, and to your point you know if porsche says you know which they the, the volkswagen automotive group talks about all these cars in terms of a hierarchy yeah zero to 60 times track times and trying to slot them right. I do wonder as you just alluded to if a portion of that design language is really making it so that it can fit in its slot yeah you know, regardless of whether it always looks good yeah i i think
0: Ultimately, in my opinion, I think I would have gone with a, a smaller conventional spoiler for the GT3, similar to the one the 991 had, yeah. so that when you take it off for the touring, it's not as jarring. Yeah. And then you save the swan neck for the GT3 RS, and if they make a GT2 RS, you know, because that's your race car. That's the car that that's should good. have the RSR wing, you know. The hood is is what it is, you know. I, I, I just think it's kind of ugly, but uh, I'm... Yeah, I'm just surprised at how aggressive the aesthetic is for, you know, yeah. what should be the the purest driver's cars right. daily or near daily driver.
1: Yeah, maybe the design will will grow on you over time. Some of these things, I agree, they come out and I, I don't really like my initial reaction mm-hmm. is very different than how I feel about the car five years down the road. I mean, yeah. Uh, Classic sure example of that cool, for me too. is like the the Audi A7 when it when it first came out. I was like, "Ooh, mm-hmm. I don't know that I like that." Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, that's you a know. great looking profile. Yeah, like
0: profile. <laughs> look. I I think the color is going to matter a lot too. You know, the launch color with shark blue really highlights the nostrils and and some mm-hmm. of the arrow bits. Whereas like a, um you know, yeah. a black or a GT silver or something like that might. It might look better, I don't know, but yeah, we'll just have to wait and see it in person. Hopefully, you know when Porsche Minneapolis or something gets one in, we can go check it out. But
1: I'd love to have one, but um, I am not at all going to be on that list. Yeah, <laughs> uh, which is a wonderful segue
0: into what is our last topic. Yeah, we alluded to it. You know, if you're lucky enough to get a build slot, uh, which is kind of tongue in cheek, because you know these cars. Porsche is not the only one to do this. Ferrari uh, is probably most famous for doing it, but Ferrari, Lamborghini, McLaren, they all do this um, with their limited production run cars. I kind of wanted to think of this segment as the rich get richer, or or there is always a bigger fish in the pond. But, you know, for those that may not be aware, with a lot of these limited production run cars, the car companies, and especially, it's not so much the car companies, it's more the dealerships. Uh, in a lot of cases, I know for Porsche's GT cars, that's the case. They basically only get a certain number of, uh, of build slots of allocations for these cars. So, you know, a dealership may get 10, uh, build slots for a new GT three over the course of the two years of production. And so they have to say, okay, how are we going to allocate these out? Because obviously there's tremendous demand for these cars, right? You know, they always come out and then they're instantly selling for 30, 40, 50 grand over sticker, Uh, sometimes more than that, depending on what kind of car you're talking about. Um, So, for example, you know, the LaFerrari, when it came out, you know, it was, I think, 1.5-ish million, and now they're selling for three. So... You know, from a pure investment standpoint, Mm -hmm. these cars always, if you're wanting to flip them, they always go for more money. And so uh, what a lot of these dealerships do is they say, you know, okay, if you, if you want to build slot on one of these, you have to be a, you know, quote unquote, good customer. You got to spend a lot of money with us. And, uh, and I was telling you before the, we got, we started recording, there's a photographer over in England. Who's a big car guy. I was listening to his podcast and he is a, uh, a Porsche customer for many years. And he inquired about a build slot and the dealership that he's used for 15 years said, you know, there's no way you're going to get a build slot. Like they didn't say it that, you know, that rudely, but that's basically what they told him. And they said the number one guy on their list had spent a million dollars with their dealership since January, 2020. Um, (laughs) So, you know, I think if you think you're going to walk into a Porsche dealership, and because you can write the check, you're going to get one is, it's yeah. you know, and, and even if you had bought, you know, your Macan there or your, your Panamera, and you think you're now in their good graces, there's always someone that's bought more cars and spent more yeah. money with them. that's getting these.
1: So this raises an interesting, you know, question in my mind, it, as a manufacturer, you look at the demand, and I think as you referenced for that. You know, gentlemen, there was a list of, I don't know, what was it? 200 100, basically. 120 people for 12 allocated. Yeah. All okay. Yeah.
0: So,
1: so is that basically saying, and this is presumably that blows up to all of Europe, all of the United States, kind of similar numbers? I would bet. Um, so, yeah. Could, as a manufacturer, if you're in the business of selling cars, you're obviously making some margin on these. I don't know what it is. Mm hmm. What happens if you decide, we're going to give that dealership and all these other dealerships 100 build slots, and all these people are going to buy them, and they make profit on that? The Hmm. question I have is, as you relate that to the manufacturer trying to create, I don't know what the word is, enthusiasm, brand enthusiasm? Hype. Hype. Yeah. Like, do they look at that and say, well, we, we don't honestly want to flood the market. We don't really care what we necessarily make on these we want to get a return on our investment and make some money but these are much more valuable to us as a brand to drive people to spend a million dollars at a dealership like it's an interesting it's just a fascinating situation to me like if if you're manufacturing a product it seems like you want to sell those products but you know a little different here it's, it's
0: a balance because you know, on paper, you say, okay, well, if we have, if we're building, say, five thousand of these cars, I don't know what the number numbers are going to be, but say they're building five thousand GT3s, yeah, and it's going to be more than that, but still, right, right, so you're yeah. building five thousand, and you have fifty thousand people that have expressed interest in it, yeah, you would think, okay, well, let's make sure we have enough tooling and we can build twenty five thousand, yeah. What happens, and McLaren experienced this with the six hundred lT, so McLaren would not release their production build numbers on the lt. It, they said it was a limited run, but they wouldn't say how many they're building. And what happened was they built a bunch of them and then they sat on the on dealer lots because oh. people wanted the exclusivity. They wanted to say, when they showed up to the car show or the, the meet yeah. with their buddies. Yeah. This is one of 500 of these in the entire world. Um, they, they want to be able to flex. And so, you know, and, and you it's can't balance. Yeah. You can't do that. If, if there's 20,000 of that car running around, Yeah, I think Porsche knows that. And I, there was one quote and I, I don't know who to attribute it to, but they said, Porsche is always going to build
1: one less than demand. Uh and and the truth is for a guy like me, it's probably a good thing because it forces me to have to buy this used.
0: (laughs) Right. Well, that's the thing. So so but that's the trick, right? So you have to so you and you and I, you know, folks with we have a love and an enthusiasm for these type of cars, but we're never gonna have the financial means short of winning the lottery to buy enough cars (laughs) to get on a list. So we're not, ne- you know, I'm never going to achieve my dream of being able to walk into the dealer for the newest limited production run car and spec it exactly how I want. Yeah. Um, and so you have to buy it. It's like resellers for anything else. It's like resellers for PS fives resellers yeah. for, yeah, that's true, etc. So, okay. You don't, it, it's a weird conundrum. You don't have enough money to get on the list. You don't, you know, cause you don't have the buying power to, to buy half the dealership's cars. Yeah. Uh, but because you don't have the buying power to do that, you now have to pay more secondhand for the car that you want, or you wait long enough. Yeah. So that, that car has come down in value enough because people put miles on it or the yeah. new hotness came out and people don't want the old one as much. Uh, so, you know, cause if you, if you were like, okay, I'm going to get the secondhand, and you try and get one six months after it comes oh, out, yeah.
1: it's going to be thirty, forty grand over. Yeah, no, exactly. You're exactly right. To me, this car is—it's almost like maybe the 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 pinnacle of internal combustion engine. Um, I, I know you could blow that up and talk about Ferrari and Lamborghini, but like, yeah. to some extent, attainable pinnacle internal combustion engine.
0: Mm-hmm. I know it's
1: still super expensive, but. Let's say, you know, Porsche does get kind of forced down the road into uh, hybrids of these or the 911 or, you know, electrified versions. This might end up being maybe near the the tail end, potentially, of the naturally aspirated engine. Just because at some point the, the tooling costs, engineering design for an internal combustion engine... 15 20 years from now it's just too much like there's not enough people supporting parts and Mm -hmm. all of this and so it may end up there i think this car will end up in a sweet spot maybe it's six years from now where it's a little bit it's come down in price enough where it's like you know you're not paying over market value yeah you could snatch one of these up and then if you held on to it for 15 years it could end up being just a, a real diamond.
0: Yeah, um, that's right what I think right. cars like the 997.2 GT3 RS are. Like, yep. We've seen the numbers start to go up on those because that's the last RS car with a Metzger engine and a manual transmission. Yeah. That's the last manual transmission RS car. So I think you're right. I think you, you have to play, if you want to get into that game, you have to play
1: the long game exactly you're buying this car 6 to, to for 7 years from now and you're it's a long hold yeah, yeah. It's, it's yeah exactly and you
0: know and i should clarify i you know i said the the uh, the rich get richer and it's because of the flipping aspect of this yeah, so that you, makes know,
1: sense.
0: you can if you are rich enough to have gotten on these lists for the newest you know whatever the 488 piece to replacement will be whatever the you know, next Ferrari hypercar will be, you can buy one because they're not going to charge, you know, Ferrari itself is not, Ferrari dealers, I know for a fact, cannot charge you over list, which is why they came up with the, you have to buy three other cars to get on the list. So Ferrari won't let their dealers charge over list for whatever car. So what these guys do that are incredibly wealthy, they go and they buy the newest Ferrari hypercar, they drive it a little bit, get their six months, year fun out of it, and then they turn around and sell it for twice what they paid for it. Yeah. So it yeah. literally is the rich get richer because, you know, yeah. they have gotten to a level of wealth where they can indulge in these cars and then turn around and sell it to the poor schmo who couldn't get on the list. But it's like, you know, he's, he's in a place where he's he rich enough to buy extra. You know, uh, it's, it's a very, it's a very interesting, um, it's a very interesting, uh, situation to be in, but I think you're right. Like you have to be, you know, hopefully in a situation where you can buy one of these four or five years later when it's maybe back to what it was listed at. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like that's maybe as much as you can hope for at
1: that point.
0: Yeah. But even then that's not foolproof. So I have been, you know, not to blow up maybe a potential show topic in the future but i've been eyeing uh the r34 skyline gtr's 25 year expiration time for import uh which is a couple years away because i'd love to get one of those but Mm -hmm. those have gone up uh basically doubled in price in the last year because speculators yeah, that's, they know it's coming. <laughs> yeah, speculators in Japan, Canada, Europe, places where they've been available have been buying them up and basically holding them, knowing that the American market's going to open up in a couple of years and there's going to be a whole bunch of people who grew up playing Gran Turismo, loving these yep. cars that are in their 30s and 40s, have the financial means to pay six figures for what was originally a $30,000 car. Yeah. Wow. You know, And, and it you know, they're pricing out, you know, I'm, I'm not going to pay six figures for a, mm-hmm. an R34 GTR. Like I'm going to start
1: looking at the R32 and R33. Well, um, you know what it may end up coming down to, and, and some of these are, you know, obviously like as a, as the event happens, there's just so much hype and attention right. on it that, you know, you give it a year, things settle down. Maybe, yeah. maybe you find it, the market comes back down.
0: It, yeah. I mean, I certainly hope so. I think the tough thing is, it's another aspect of the limited production cars. The longer you wait, the more of those cars get wrecked. Exactly. Or taken and, out, you know, taken out of commission, you know, get trapped in a flood, et cetera, et cetera. So you have a, a, a resource that is becoming more and more rare. And so unless you're willing to go out and buy us, maybe a super high mile version of that car, you know, a yeah. low mile or, or reasonable mileage car becomes you know, more it's, it actually comes up, becomes more and more expensive unless, you know, it's just a car that people have lost interest in.
1: Yeah. For whatever reason.
0: Yeah. For whatever reason. So anyway, I think it was a super interesting, uh, it's a super interesting topic. It's a very strange world. Once you get into those high end limited run cars, because you're, you've got millionaires that, that are losing out to billionaires (laughs) at the dealerships, which I think is hilarious. And so it just shows you that, you know, you may think you're a big fish, but, uh, you're not spending a million dollars at your local Porsche dealership in a year. So, um, anyways, I think that's kind of about wrap it up for this week. Uh, do you have anything, anything else you want to add?
1: I don't think so. No.
0: All right. Well, thank you guys for listening. Uh, it was another fun episode. Um, Check us out on Instagram at the Off Valve Podcast uh, just to keep up to date on when we're releasing show topics. Um, And uh, please let us know if you have any questions, any show ideas. Uh, We'd love to engage with you there. Um, And until next week, we'll see you next time.